Stay on target. Stay on target. It's crashing time. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of So There I Was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. Unfortunately, Fig isn't here to record the intro with me today. He's flying. But this is the continuation of our interview with Chaz. Episode seven is entitled Four Wheeling and Fires and Snakes. Oh, my. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And we will see you again next week with episode eight. In the meantime, if you have any questions, you can write to fig at so there I was dot us or to me at repeat at so there I was dot us repeat spelled R E P E T E. You can follow us on Facebook at so there I was dot us slash Facebook or on Twitter at so there I was dot us slash Twitter. We love hearing from you. We love the comments. We love the emails. Keep them coming, please. Sit back and enjoy the show. Here it is, episode seven. Four wheeling and fires and snakes. Oh my. Other Kingsville things, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, uh, so there I, I was. Uh, one I have to tell just because uh, one of my dearest friends was involved. He also went to later and we all worked together there. Uh, we were in a four plane formation doing uh we had three solos i was dash three he was dash four uh the instructor and the lead aircraft had a student you know flying uh we're in right echelon tight formation and my buddy dash four apparently uh was not paying attention to my wingtip and my canopy bow to hold his position because he looked forward just enough to see a cessna at 12 o'clock about to impact our formation which the lead must have missed. And he called it in a fairly high-pitched uh, tone. Like a six-year-old girl, huh? <laughs> yeah, enough to scare the you-know-what out of you. Anyway, the formation exploded. I don't know. I think he pitched straight up. I rolled away from dash two and rolled inverted and pulled down. I think we were at about 15,000. I don't know where dash two went. It took us uh, several minutes uh, to rejoin. I bottomed out uh, somewhere low. And, it was uh, a hard deck at 10,000, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the hard deck was involved a couple of times, going down yeah. and coming up. And uh, But anyway, we rejoined and went on. But anyway, that's one memory from that world. Uh, another one I remember that happened when I there, not to me, but it was it's a, another, these are all lessons. This, this is another lesson learned moment. This was not my doing, but it was another guy, unfortunate. Uh, they did air-to-air -air gunnery in the T2. You guys will recall that. Yeah. And they yeah. tow a banner and they had, you know, 50 caliber pods they'd put on the airplane and it had a, a sight system on it. And part of the setup was you go out to the arming area and you'd have to adjust the uh, gun sight. As I remember, I think you took the 300 mil ring and you had to roll it down to where it just touched the seam between the nose cone and the uh, main body, something like that. There was a procedure. Anyway, this particular individual was not very tall. And so for him to get up high enough in his seat to adjust the ring down, he had to loosen up his lap straps and then kind of raise up the seat and adjust it. 
which you know was understandable. Uh, apparently, on this particular day, he forgot to retighten uh, the lap straps. Oh boy! And they went out in the gunnery pattern, and he managed to depart the airplane from the perch, and went into a spin, uh, hit the hard floor, as we know, and uh, had to eject. And he had to eject with straps not tight. And uh, he got severe, he survived severe injuries, um, you know, and, and his flying was done. Uh, and that also sobered me up. I mean, I, it was like, you got to pay attention to little details. I can only imagine. Um, let me, let me interrupt briefly with that. That reminds me, you know, tr all these things trigger things, right? Uh, I was coming out of Cherry Point one day with a student in the backseat of the A4 we were going down to Key West to pick up uh, the boat to, to do carrier calls. And uh, I can't remember what kind of flight it was, but I was in the backseat of the A4. So I'm thinking it was an instrument hop of some sort. But uh, we were suddenly in a hurry to get out of Cherry Point. So uh, I find myself rushing and getting getting in the airplane and get down there. And then we were down near Key West and the instructor wants to go out and look at the Tortugas. So we go out and look at... Uh, the dry tortugas and and do a nice little tour and we're coming into key west and i dropped my knee board for whatever reason i had pulled it off to adjust it and i dropped it and i reached up to release one of my coke fittings so that i could reach down and and get it your coke fittings are kind of like your shoulder straps and i and i went up to undo those so i could reach down and get my knee board and they were not attached at all i had flown an entire oh. hop in an ejection seat aircraft not attached to the risers to my chute in the event we had had to eject uh, i would have been a a rock so wow. yeah attention to detail put put the fear of god into me uh, I, I never did that again lesson learned but oh thank god that uh, that that single engine jet uh, didn't have any malfunctions that day but Wow. Well, I mean, let's keep in mind you were in the core, though. I think even if you'd ejected without the straps, you'd have landed okay. You'd have just bounced. Well, yeah, right. You know. Well, today I, I mean, was. You know. I know. I <laughs> I know what the men's branch of the uh, Navy is, so you know, I get it. There you so. go. Thank you for that, Chuck. You're part of the Department of the Navy, <laughs> yeah. the men's department. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know it all. So, um, so the story continues. We're in Kingsville these things are happening uh then let me tell one funny story and then i will tell where life as i know it for the rest of my life begins and uh, the funny one is I, I had a land cruiser i bought in pensacola and it was the coolest car i'd ever owned in my life one of those old uh you know blue boxy cruisers yeah. and it was an amazing four-wheel drive vehicle you know i mean just remarkable i get down to kingsville and one of my best friends down there has one too so we have the two land cruisers on base so we go four-wheeling together all the time and uh, our other friends you know pile in with us and we go explore the areas around kingsville down south mostly go into the sand dunes and down on padre island and we just had a lot of fun well one day we're down at uh god i'm trying to remember the name of the of the place uh port arthur uh, we went down to Port Arthur. There's sand dunes down there and a lot of open country. And we're four-wheeling, and there's a little uh, county strip at Port Arthur, a little north-south county strip. I don't know, three, 4,000-foot-long you know, strip. And we're about, I don't know, 75 yards of beam, the 
runway driving through these sand dunes and I get stuck. Uh, my wheel starts spinning. Well, my buddy's behind me in his cruiser. He sees what's happening and I spin my wheel and it ignites the brush. Next thing I know, I got flames coming up in front of me and he sees it. He runs out, grabs his winch, hooks on to the back of my cruiser to pull me out of the fire. Uh, my wife's in the right seat. I'm like, you got to get out. Go, 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 go. Uh, he's emptying people out of his. He tries to pull me out. He gets stuck. Oh, uh, by this point, the flames are coming through the open doors on the passenger side and the fuel tank in that vehicle was under the passenger seat. I can hear the fuel start to hiss when the flames hit the tank. And I think probably ought to get out of here. So I jump out. He jumps out. Our vehicles are left. We start running through the brush. You know what else doesn't like flames? Rattlesnakes. <laughs> there were rattlesnakes everywhere and we're and the wives were out and the other pastures were out and they'd already discovered the snakes and uh we're trying to not step on rattlesnakes and get away from the fire and we finally make it back to the runway and we're watching now as our land cruisers are consumed in the flames oh no so this is not good and uh next thing i look down the runway and here comes a 1940s version ladder fire truck onto the runway and he comes hauling down the runway so you're you know going to come fight the fire and uh i know i'm sitting here going oh we're in trouble we're in so much trouble this is not going to be good oh these people are going to be so angry this fire's burning now and going like crazy it was windy this truck comes up and it's bouncing as it gets to me. The guy had set the emergency brake and locked the wheels and it just goes bouncing past us. And he's yelling out the window, no brakes, no brakes, no brakes, as he goes down and goes off the end of the runway. <laughs> he finally turns around and comes back, pulls up, a couple of his buddies pile off the ladder. There's a bunch of his buddies and their wives and girlfriends on the ladder. They grab the fire hose and take off running toward the flames. The guy watching it unspooled doesn't bother to tell them when they're running out of hose. They hit the end, the sine wave goes down the hose and these two guys get flipped into the fire. They get out pretty quick. <laughs> anyway, the fire burns away because the wind blows away. Our vehicles are left out there smoldering. And now, now that the sheriff's there, the whole town's there. And when I just know, God, we're gonna, we're in so much trouble. This is not gonna be good. And finally, the sheriff comes over and he goes, which you guys own these vehicles? And I go, uh, me, sir. And my buddy goes, me. And he goes, uh, well, it was made quite a mess out here. And I go, yes, sir. Sure, I'm starting. You know, sorry about that. He goes, no, no, don't be sorry. And I go, what, sir? And he goes, uh, folks over here have decided they're going to throw a potluck in your honor tonight. And I'm like, a potluck. And he goes, yeah. He said, that place is full of snakes. They've been wanting to burn it for years, but no one will <laughs> let them do it. And go, so, so he, the sheriff, turned out he was a former Coast Guard officer and he was the sheriff down there. And I, we ended up having to leave my vehicle. The other one was drivable. Mine, it got so hot, it melted the belts, uh, the hoses, uh, a lot of damage, the tires. So the aviation part of this story is then for the next couple of months, I got to flew the Flying Club 172 down there every weekend and took parts and went down and slowly rebuilt my land cruiser stayed with the sheriff we did that night of the fire uh stayed with him every time i went down there he was one of the nicest characters 
he'd take us on patrol with him in a patrol car. Then we'd get him in the 172 and go flying up and down the coast toward Matamoros. And he'd show us where all the drug smuggling operations on the coast were in every little bay and harbor down there. It was, it was great. He'd go, he'd go don't fly too low here, man. I'll shoot you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that was uh, Kingsville, you know, and then, uh, like I said, life is about to turn a corner. Um, and it's a corner that, um, that runs to this day. Uh, I had, uh, in the T2 world, I had some bouts with air sickness. And, uh, and then I uh, got over it, managed to fly my flights and all that, put it behind me. Got to the A4, and as you guys may recall, the beginning of the A4 syllabus, you flew the first several hops under the, under the bag. Oh, yeah. And we go out and do aerobatics and everything under the hood. I was telling my daughter about that yesterday. I'm going, yeah, we did aerobatics in, under the hood. The, the instructor was out VMC, you know, in case things went really badly. But yeah, it was a huge confidence builder. Yeah. I, and, and, but unfortunately for a guy that had a little bit of sensitivity to motion, it wasn't that wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I needed really <laughs> visual awesome. to kind of keep my thing together. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up, um, I caught a break again, you know, um, you know, what was it? Fogelberg said, you know, chance of a lifetime and a lifetime of chance. Uh, I had to go see the flight surgeon because of this. And the flight surgeon was concerned about my future because of this issue. And I was too, you know, I mean, I thought I'm probably going to get a bullet here. You know, it's probably going to be over. It turned out that his corpsman, had just transferred in. It was his first week on the job. And it turned out his corpsman had come from the Naval Medical, Aeromedical Research Laboratory in Pensacola, which was an affiliate of NASA. And the corpsman had been working on a research project for NASA about motion. And the corpsman went and tracked the flight surgeon down and apparently told the flight surgeon he thought I'd make a great subject for their research because they're looking for people that had more sensitivity, uh, vestibular sensitivity. And so he convinced them. And they sent me to NASA and NAMRL to take part in this research. I will tell you this because pilots will love this. Uh, other people, maybe not so much. But... Uh, I get down there, they have developed all manner of machine to induce uh, severe motion. Uh, one, two, three axis uh, centrifuge type machines, um, crazy stuff. They would attach brainwave monitors, rapid eye movement monitors to you, uh, monitors to your hands to detect perspiration every, you know, tracking your heart, they track everything. But the fun part was when I get down there, they had to baseline you in every device. Well, baselining you in each of those devices mean they had to run you in that device till you hurled. And so I had to ride every one of those machines oh boy. until I got, you know, knee walking. Lousy, rotten, karmic retribution. Hey, amen. Jazz, you're not you're not painting a very pretty picture here. <laughs> oh, it gets better. It gets a lot better. Well, once they did the baseline, once they knew how your body physiologically reacted, 
to the whole thing from start to finish, every step of the way toward the Grizzly Inn there. Uh, they had it all. They had it all in the memory of the computers. They had it all. They had it all. And so then what they did was uh, those of us that were included in this program were broken into different groups and given different um, ways to deal with it. And some of them were given certain drug uh, uh, things to neutralize the effect. Uh, others, what well, I was put in a group uh, with a couple of neuroscientists uh, to see if I could develop alpha wave training skills to the point that I could put my brain into alpha state while I was flying, while I was actively doing something. Uh, and that may be foreign language to most people, alpha wave, but you've got different brain waves and uh, alpha waves, a slow wave in the brain and alpha wave calms anxiety. It calms, it calms you. So alpha wave is a very good state. I think today it's evolved in what people would probably would call meditation mindfulness type thing. So that's kind of where that started. And then they went on to develop it and compress the time. They wanted to get me to a place where I could actually achieve an alpha state in a matter of a few seconds, not minutes. Uh, and that's what I worked on. And I was in every day and then I'd go get the machines every, you know, every few days. And I did, they taught me how to do it. It was pretty amazing. And the technique, my hook, my mental hook, because it had to be something you could do in the cockpit. Uh, what, you know, when you felt this charge come on, you had to be able to grab it. But the hook was take us one slow, deep breath and wiggle, wiggle your toes. And those two little things connect together would help me get my brain to go to the alpha thing they'd trained me to do. Well, anyway, uh, I went through that. I will tell you the most horrible thing. I always hear stories of torture, waterboarding and things of that nature. They had a little gizmo down there that I think would be much more effective and a lot neater. They put you in a room on a gurney, strap you down. Uh, they then insert microtubules into your ears. Now, the reason NASA was doing this research, by the way, was most of the astronauts had problems with this because in weightlessness, the fluid in your inner ear has no reference. It just goes wherever it wants to go. So you got one ear doing one thing, the other ear doing something different, your eyes telling you something, and you got no real feel in your butt. You're not you know, pulling G's or anything. And that's all the things that kind of connect together to give you your sense of motion. Uh, so the astronauts had had struggles with this. So that's why NASA was trying to find answers. But this device, the one I loved, they put microtubules in your ear, you're strapped to the table, they hook all the monitors on you, then there were three lights up on the edge of the ceiling and they had you look at each light to calibrate your eye movement. Then they turn the lights out, then they went in another room and then they started pulsing water in through the microtubules into the ear against the eardrum. And they would change the temperature of the water. And as you would heat the water, it would make the fluid in the semicircular canal go one way. As you cool the water, it would go the other way. Oh, so in one ear, they put cooling water. The other ear, they would put warm water. The effect was that you felt like you were in the dark, tumbling end over end over end oh, out of control. Boy. That's why they strapped you to the table, because otherwise you would have been nuts. You'd flop, you'd flop it, out. You'd flop out. I mean, it was just, it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. Not pleasant, but wow. And uh, learned a lot about motion, learned a lot about the body's reactions to it, got to learn it all firsthand. Anyway, all's well that ends well. They, I spent about six months there. 
and they sent me uh, back to A4s. Really never in my Navy experience from that point on did I ever even have a momentary bout of uh, motion. So that was, it was cool. So uh, that's the turning point. That's where things start to go the other way. I went on back. Uh, one thing that happened after that, I took another cross country to the mountains. The instructor on that actually was carrier I'd mentioned and uh, was one of the people instrumental in uh, helping to get me hired there. Uh, but he had family in Denver. We flew into Buckley. He drove me around Denver. He drove me up in the mountains to Evergreen. His sister lived up in Greeley. And I remember driving up there and looking at it going, man, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. I want to do this, you know. I said, I'm going to live here someday. Well, I've been living here now for 31 years. So uh, that worked out. So that's all out of that era as well. And then uh, come to the end. VT-21, A4s are over, carrier qualled, you know, got it all done. Weapons qualled, moving on. I mean, like life has come together. Yeah. Uh, the big threat of the motion's gone. All this is happening and I'm like, man, here we go. And the next act begins. I get orders to A7s. Well, this is weird and I'm uncomfortable saying it, but I have to say it. Uh, every guy instructor I'd met in the training command that had been an A7 guy had been some of the most miserable characters I'd encountered. Really? I really didn't think I, I, yeah, I just didn't think I wanted to be in that world. So I went to my XO and said, sir, is there any chance I could, you know, ask him to change my orders? And he goes, why would you want to do that? I go, I, I just don't know that this is the right fit for me. And he goes, well, we can sure call and, you know, we can call and talk to detailer. So we're sitting in his office. I'm sitting across from him at his desk and he dials up the detailer and the guy answers. That's rare. Right. But he yeah. answered and uh, <laughs> and he goes, uh, can I help you? You know, and he goes, yeah, I got a student here. Just got his wings. He's he'd like to discuss his orders. So it looks up and goes, oh, yeah, we got you here. And I go, sir, I, I go, uh, the only aircraft I didn't have on my dream sheet was a7s i had every other aircraft in the inventory on my dream sheet and he goes yeah so what's wrong with a7s and i go i don't think anything's wrong with the airplane but i said i've just met a lot of people down here that i'm just not sure it's a good fit for me well you know the story right because you know what this detailer flew oh boy <laughs> you'll go where we tell you and like it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so where he told me was s3 so i got sent off to s3s I think he thought he was poking me, but he actually made me very happy because it was a brand new airplane. Uh, I thought the mission, I had no idea really what the mission was, but what the heck, it's somewhere else. So uh, off to be, you know, BS-41, North Island, San Diego. Horrible place to have to go. Horrible place. Yeah. For a sorry. kid from Indiana, yeah, 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 having to deal that. with San Diego, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, I lived lived in North Park, right by Balboa Park. I go jogging at Balboa Park. I bought a membership in the San Diego Zoo. Finish my jogs, go into the zoo, go sit down in a hummingbird aviary to cool down. Have fifty hummingbirds buzzing around me, and I'm going, yeah, this this is a horrible place. I hate this. You know, flying, learning submarine stuff out in the Pacific. 
all that good stuff, you know, doing a little bombing over in the Chocolate Mountains. And uh, you guys probably did that. I think that was a oh, popular yeah. marine oh, resort. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Resort. Yep. It's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, get out to get out to 41. Here's where life gets real. Um, and it's going to be a sequence of things that I'm going to share now. Um, things I have not shared uh, that I think probably should be shared because uh, I think others probably have similar things in their lives. Um, one day I was about to take off at North Island in an S3 to go out on training flight of some kind. The squadron called us on the radio and asked us to bring, come back, uh, back to line, get back in and shut down. And they go, uh, tell me I need to go see the duty officer ASAP. Uh, while I was taxing in, I noticed a black plume of smoke coming up across the bay in the city. Um, I went in the duty officer and a duty officer knew me and he goes, you live in North Park, right? I go, yeah. He goes, you need to get home. And I go, what? He says, there's been a horrible accident. And he said, I think it's near your home. And they said, I think you should go home. And I go, Roger that. So I go out, jump in my car, head over the bridge back into town. And as I try to get home, there are thousands of people in the streets. And I can see this smoke going up, you know, horrible black smoke. And as I get, I finally, I'm trying to find a way into my house. I'm driving around. I can't get in. There's too many people. I finally see a dead body in the street in front of me and I look over and the porch of the house the roof was blown out and then there's this uh, body in the road and I'm like oh my god uh, so I park and I go there's nothing I can do for this guy there's people there they're bringing a sheet out you know to cover him up uh, I go on and hike into my house and uh, when I get there, there's people everywhere up in my yard, there's people and the smoke's coming from just a couple of blocks away, maybe, I don't know, 200 yards uh, as a crow flies. And um, there's fire trucks, emergency vehicles. What had happened uh, that day, and you guys will recall this, I think, uh, there was a PSI uh, 727 coming into Lindbergh there, San Diego, and he uh, had a mid-air collision with a Cessna uh, out on a training flight and uh, uh, it took them all down uh, the the body I saw in the street was the instructor pilot in the Cessna um, the, the 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 scene was unlike anything oh you can imagine gosh. I mean take the craziest uh, you know movies you've seen they don't really even come close to capturing something like this. They took out about 14 houses in uh, two city blocks or so over from me. Um, obviously, uh, you know, no survivors. And uh, I'm in my house. I had a Weimaraner dog I'd moved from Kingsville with. You can imagine this dog's losing its mind, all these people and everything. I'm trying to get the dog calmed down. My wife wasn't home. Um, and I'm just in there. It's during a Santa Ana. It's about 105, 106 degrees. Wind's blowing out of the east, uh, bringing that heat off the desert. And uh, the smoke's being blown right into my house. Uh, I'm checking on my neighbors. Um, over the next several hours, we're finding, um, we're finding body parts in our yards. 
uh, on the roofs. Uh, I mean, it was just devastation. Um, I'm at the house. I get a knock on the door. I open the door. There's a police officer standing at the door and his chest is covered in blood. And he asked me if he can borrow my phone. And yeah, of course. So he comes in, sits down at my dining room table. I set the phone down there for him. I step into the kitchen to get him a big glass of ice water. I put the water down and I go sit down in the living room, try and you know, give him some space. And when I'm sitting there, he makes a call. He calls headquarters and reports. And then he, um, as I'm sitting there, I hear him crying. And uh, I step around the corner and he's sobbing. He's just sobbing. And uh, I go over, you know, put a hand on his shoulder and uh, what can I do? You know, and he's just shaking his head. Wow. I refill his ice water. I come back. Uh, he's kind of got his composure. I go, so what's, what's going on over there? And he goes, it's, it's horrible. And I go, yeah, I assumed. And he goes, uh, he says, I was the first, uh, I was the first policeman on the scene. He said, I saw it hit. I was only a couple of blocks away. He said, I came in and I saw somebody bent over a body and I thought, oh, maybe they're survivors. And so I jumped out of the car to go help. Yeah, no. Uh, the guy that was bent over the body was not resuscitating a survivor. He was stealing the jewelry, the watch, the rings off of what was an arm and a portion of the chest. And he apparently, when he saw the policeman, swung that and hit him in the chest that was the blood all over this man's chest oh my god oh my god wow <laughs> yeah and uh, the people wow. looted it the city did everything they could you know trying to kind of play that ugly aspect of this reality down uh the policemen then asked me if they could set up their command post on my front porch or use it as one of their command posts i agreed they were there then for the next couple of weeks while they went through the rubble of the houses searching or more. Uh, Santa Ana continued, the wind continued out of the east, the stench, uh, un unforgettable. Um, and uh, life turned right there. Uh, at that point, I mean, even going back to my friend that was killed in the suicide, uh, nothing really had prepared me for something like that. And I was, of course, young and dumb. And, you know, the rest of that full of, but I thought I could uh, ignore it. You know, I was just, so what? That's life. That's how things happen. Uh, I got to focus on flying. I got to focus on doing what I do. And I did. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know, I was pretty far along in training when this happened. And I don't remember the exact date. You know, people can look it up of the PSA crash. Um, I then went back into training and I uh, was going on about my business. Well, at that time, the Navy was developing a new tanker and they were going to, uh, Lockheed wanted to sell the Navy, the S3, instead of an a as an ASW airplane, sell it to them as an in-flight refueling airplane. So uh, so that, that was taking place. Well, anyway, they had it out there at the RAG 
and they and I was in those days training was real hit and miss after the Vietnam War rolled down they didn't have money you'd train vigorously for two three four weeks then you'd go into a pool for a couple of months we called it having five months of training crammed into two years uh you know it was it, it was really crazy it was very hard to get uh competent you know with that schedule and all that so anyway I'm in the pool and they're trying to develop and sell the government on this tanker and so they're going to do this thing, fly this tanker around the country to the various Marine and Navy air wings and let the guys do in-flight refueling on it. And then we'd have them fill out these uh, forms to rate how refueling on the airplane was. So I was picked to be the co-pilot on this while I was in the pool. And so I went out and you know, flew this airplane. Uh, well, we got sent, uh, the, the RAG had a detachment going to the east coast to oceana to do carrier quals on the america and was one class ahead of me i was in going to be in the next uh, cq class and so i was very close to the end of training and uh so they decided to send the tanker over there to take part in the cq qual for the air wings over there and let all the guys in the air wing you know hit the hit the drogue on, on that thing and write up these things. So we went over there. Well, it worked out really cool because one of my best friends in the squadron, uh, a gent that had been a, uh, I think a pretty renowned college wrestler from Michigan. Um, we'd gone through Kingsville together. Now we were out there in a rag together. And uh, he was gonna do his first night carrier uh, landings on the America. And it worked out to where I was gonna be overhead in the tanker pattern, uh, supporting him. And uh, I thought, that's great. You know, I'm going to get to see him do his first trap. This will be super. And the instructor, or the guy I'm flying with, the instructor pilots over in the other seat, I told him, you know, I'd, I'd really like to watch my buddy catch this wire. And so we worked our, you know, spin pattern, tanker pattern out so that we could follow him when he was coming down, you know, coming down to the deck. And so we could see him. Um, and what I saw was a violent explosion. And uh, holy moly, what, what in the world was that? And we rolled the jet up, you know, so we could look down trying to see what had happened. All we could see was flames. Turned out he'd landed left, drifted left, caught the wire, went over the left side, hmm. pulled the handle. By the time the seats fired, the jet had rolled toward the ship and it fired the sheets into the hull or the seats oh, into the hull. Um, you know how that ended. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, Pete, this is one we probably ought to come back and pick up on next time because there's a lot more to this story. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, because this story is going to get real involved. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're running short on time and uh, we'll probably, I may yeah. make this, probably make this one into at least two episodes, but, but glad to have you, have you back soon. Chuck. These are great stories, Chuck. You, you are, you are. You are a great storyteller. Fig, did I not tell you huh. that this man yeah, is a raconteur, <laughs> a world-class raconteur? Uh, you yeah. did. Yeah. And I just thought you were full of it. No, I know you weren't. Ah, well, yeah, <laughs> we are all full of it. I, I claim that. But uh, I, what I'm going to do, guys, I'm going to give you a heads up here. Uh, this story is going to turn real ugly. Uh, like, I mean, like it hasn't already. <laughs> I got that. I got that already, Chuck. Yeah, and then there's going to be more ugly yeah. uh, to follow. Uh, there's a bunch of ugly that about happens in my life here. And uh, where this is ultimately going to lead, and this may or may not be the purpose of your podcast, is why I'm going to tell you this. So that'll tell me how to tell this. Okay. Uh, in 09, 
my best friend at the carrier, which I've uttered the name of there once. I know I saw you take a note, Pete, so I think you caught it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in 09, my best friend died. Uh, I was with him the day he got the death sentence. He was supposed to meet me the day before for lunch and he didn't show. And uh, I called him. Uh, he called me actually while I was in the cockpit getting ready to leave that day. And I picked the phone up and talked to him. He didn't sound very good. And I asked him, are you okay? And he goes, apparently not. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was coming to meet you. I grabbed a granola bar on the way out of the crash pad. I choked on it when I was coming over and started coughing up blood and went back apparently to the hooch, filled up his toilet with blood a couple of times and called the ambulance. And the next day I came in, the chief pilot, Jack Lewis, uh, loaned me his Jeep to run out and check on John. I got out to the hospital there, Germantown Methodist there in Memphis. And uh, John, uh, just as I got there, the doctors were coming in to give him the diagnosis. And I excused myself. I said, I'll get out of here. I know you got, and John looked at me and laughed. He goes, ain't nothing they're going to tell me you can't hear. And I go, you sure? And he goes, absolutely, sit down. So I got to sit there while he was given a death sentence and esophageal cancer. Um, he was dead seven weeks later. And uh, I was in China, wow. deadheading from Shanghai to Guangzhou when he died. And uh, I learned later that day on that flight down was the next time I got sick on an airplane, but it wasn't air sickness. I was just on the flight and got some food poisoning in Shanghai. And we were in such turbulence. I couldn't get out of my seat and they had no six sacks. So I got to yak on myself in the airplane, went on to the hotel, cleaned up, went to bed, woke up and I had a message to call Jack Lewis. And I called and found out John was dead. Um, I could go on and on with stories about this yeah. guy. We worked professional standards together. He was a co-pilot of mine that I call my mentor. Uh, he was a, one of the most fundamentally decent humans I ever knew in my life. And a former Philly police officer went in the Navy, became a Halo pilot, uh, then transitioned to F-Force. Go figure that career path. Uh, <laughs> was Jack Lewis's commanding officer in the F-4 squadron. Um, he, the reason I tell this, Pete, is... Um, Following on to that, I had months of nightmares. Uh, the nightmares had smells. The nightmares had bad stuff. And I would wake up in a sweat. I became crazy emotional. I'd be watching silly movies and things would happen and the tears would start flowing. Long story short, my wife, who's a former police officer and understands things like this, realized I had a problem. Got into counseling and got diagnosed with PTSD and began my recovery. And the first part of it was I had felt extreme guilt uh, toward John because John had asked me repeatedly to be the chairman of Pro Stan. Repeatedly, I'd told him, no, I've had enough union BS. I'm just gonna go home to Colorado and enjoy my life. Uh, but when John died, I felt tremendous guilt that I'd let this really decent human down so the first part of the counseling was to pay it forward, to pay it forward for John. And I called my block rep, another old Marine, Jack Anzer, and uh, said, Jack, and I'd done union work in the past, so they knew I could do it. I go, hey, I'll give the union two years, no questions asked, any job you want. Uh, what I'd really like is nothing political. I just want to help out. And he goes, oh, great, man. That's great. Yeah, I'll look into it. So the next thing I get a call from the chairman 
and uh, asked me again if I would step up and pro stand. And I said, absolutely. So they made me the vice chairman. And shortly thereafter is when I met Pete because they shortly decided I should be the communications chairman. And what nobody really knew through all of my four years as communication chairman, my two years as negotiation support team coordinator, and my couple more terms as chairman was that all of that was in service and that still carries me today. Uh, that's why I'm telling my story. Well, and that's, that's, that's part of what this podcast is certainly all about, Chuck, that we wanted to, to, to bring people in, you know, obviously lots of funny stories, amazing stuff and all that, but, but there's, there's tragic, there's poignant, and, uh, there's a lot of struggles and a, and a lot of people have overcome some amazing, uh, obstacles. And, uh, like you said, you know, the, the, that's part of this business. How many of us lost so many friends in, in so many tragic ways that, uh, it, if you think it doesn't scar you, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're definitely uh, yeah. mis, misinformed. Right. I've gotten to a place where I can talk about it. Right. Uh, that's taken a long time. There's things that happened out there where, you know, I wish they hadn't happened, but I'm going to get into the events uh, and ultimately going to tie it together because it really all goes back to that PSA crash as I right. learned later. Yeah. And this, this accident I'm about to tell you about and the next one and the next one. Yeah. And you guys will relate to this. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's where I'm heading. So if you want to get into that, you know, in that aspect of this, as we get down into the story, that's what I want to know if that's where you want to go with this or should I not go there? Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that. But, um, uh, for, for today, uh, I think I'm going to probably break this into two. I'll figure that out in post. I want to say, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us today, Jazz. Yeah, oh, you're been, awesome. been a privilege. Yeah. It actually triggered you. Your story's triggered some memories for me too. So so some other time we'll talk about that shit. Yeah, I figured that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's the beauty of this. Well, that's it, the world. It, yeah, it is. It is. We've been privileged to uh, be part of an amazing career uh, that's taken us to, through tactical aviation and at the majors. It's, it, it, there's no other way to say it. it. It's a privilege and a blessing, and it's been a lot of fun, and it's been the one of the biggest blessings is to meet and work with so many other solid professionals you don't seem to find elsewhere. So right. in the meantime, for FIG and Jazz, I'm going to say uh, you can reach us uh, with any questions at FIG at so there I was us or repeat at so there I was us. Follow us on Facebook at so there I was us slash Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. Check six.